Chinese Communist Party doesn't actually care about the loss of life in these terms. If it enables them to impose their hegemony, then they would regard the deaths of relatively small numbers of people, and for them, you know, millions are small numbers of people, they would regard that as a small price to pay. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Hi, I'm Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now. Today, we are honored to have as our Code Red podcast guest, Lord David Alton of Liverpool. David is a life peer in the United Kingdom's House of Lords. David is a highly accomplished member of Parliament, author, and human rights activist. Oppressed people everywhere have a champion in David Alton. David's human rights agenda includes being a pro-life advocate and a respected voice holding the Communist Party of China to account for human rights violations in China and Hong Kong. In 2008, David criticized the British Olympic Association for requiring athletes to sign a letter saying they would not criticize China's human rights abuses before or during the Beijing Summer Olympics. Most recently, David has been shining a light on the Communist Party's crackdown on democracy advocates in Hong Kong. 15 Hong Kong democracy leaders have been arrested while the world deals with the Wuhan virus. One of the arrestees is Martin Lee, who is known as the father of Hong Kong's democracy movement. Mr. Lee is over 80 years old. David, let's begin with you describing the importance of the arrest of Martin Lee. Thank you, Alan. No one should underestimate the symbolic importance of the arrest of this octogenarian, but also of Margaret Ong, who's another well-known lawyer in Hong Kong, Jimmy Lai, who's the owner of one of the most important independent news outlets in the Far East, and 13 other people from the pro-democracy movement. And of course, these are not the first to have been arrested. Uh, others precede them from the younger end of the of the audience as well, people like Joshua Wong and Nathan Law, all committed, by the way, to total nonviolence in their protests to try and uphold what's called two systems, one country. That was the agreement that China entered into when Hong Kong was handed back to China, that there would be two systems in one country, that the rule of law would be preserved, that human rights and would be preserved, and that there would be a move towards universal suffrage. Of course, that's been uh, long since abandoned, but we've seen an encroachment on all of those promises, uh, an encroachment on the freedoms of the people of Hong Kong. And I suppose representative of those freedoms more than anybody else is Martin Lee, the Catholic lawyer, widely regarded as a sort of heroic David against the Chinese Communist Party's Goliath. He's a former member of the Legislative Council, the founding chairman of United Democrats of Hong Kong and the pro-democracy Democratic Party. It's no exaggeration to say that he has been the father of Hong Kong democracy. 
point, I believe you said, that this is a classic move by the Chinese Communist Party, putting it in the context of the world being turned over on its head with this virus, fighting this virus. And the Chinese are moving against the Hong Kong democracy movement. Why is this a classic move? What do you consider it? Well, because, Alan, it's a, a piece of opportunism. It's an opportunity that has been taken by the Chinese Communist Party because they think the rest of the world is distracted, as we are, by this terrible COVID-19 coronavirus, which is affecting millions of people around the world. In my own country, in the United Kingdom, we're seeing thousands of people dying as a result of this virus. And so the assumption by the Chinese Communist Party is that while our eye is off the ball, they can do whatever they want and the world will make no protest about it. So I think under the cover of this darkness, we saw the arrest of, of Martin Lee, but this was also a warning to people in Hong Kong that if they continue their protests, if they continue to agitate for the democratic freedoms and liberties that we take so much for granted in the United States and the United Kingdom, that, that, that they, the Chinese Communist Party, will not stand for it. And they'll use any means, fair or foul, to try and prevent the flourishing and the uh, development of democracy in Hong Kong. And that sends a warning, a shot across the bowels to Taiwan, but it should also send a shot across the bowels of our own fragile parliamentary democracies uh, as China itself looks at us with contempt, a sneering contempt, and wants to replace our freedoms and liberties by an ideology that has been 70 years in the making, the Maoism that has been promoted in, in communist China uh, has been incredibly successful in their terms. I mean, we, they have not collapsed like the Soviet Union, and they don't intend to. So, and we have, I think we've been fast asleep while they've walked in in their carpet slippers. Do you think that their initial handling, and I think it continues today, of the Wuhan virus by shutting down the Wuhan province doctors who had blown the whistle about the dangers of this virus within China disappeared, that China has been coming across, at least to me, as a country that is not interested in helping the world but is a country but is a country that is interested in promoting itself would you agree with that i do agree with that uh, but i would go further and say that we have to look at china's track record the chinese communist party's track record over this past 70 years mao zedong gave the world the great famine he gave the world the so-called great leap forward the cultural revolution all of which took the lives of millions and millions of Chinese people. Chinese Communist Party doesn't actually care about the loss of life in these terms. If it enables them to impose their hegemony, then they would regard the deaths of relatively small numbers of people, and for them, you know, millions are small numbers of people, they would regard that as a small price to pay. For me, the Chinese government's initial decision to... Uh, prevent the world from knowing what was happening in Wuhan, I think that that is the key to understanding what has occurred since. 
the suppression of information is a is has always been one of the tools in in, in that they've had in their armory, but also then the silencing of those who sought to warn the world of what was holding. So instead of suppressing the virus, they suppressed information. One of the great heroes to emerge from the crisis was the ophthalmologist Li Wenliang, who was forced to recant. You'll recall the communist authorities told him he had to literally eat his words or he'd go to jail, as some of his colleagues did. And he subsequently died, this brave doctor, along with three other doctors in the hospital in Wuhan, where they were ministering and tending to people who contracted the virus. But I'm also struck by the story of Ai Fen, the director of the emergency center at the Wuhan Central Hospital. She too was reprimanded, like uh, Li Wenliang, after alerting her superiors and colleagues that a SARS-like virus had been seen in patients last December. And she said, if I had known what was to happen, I wouldn't have cared about the reprimand. I would have talked about it to ever, whoever I could. And demonstrating all the hallmarks of the dictatorship, that interview with Ida was subsequently removed from the magazine where it appeared, appeared, and it's been deleted from all social media sites. That is the nature of this regime. Very important lesson that you just gave our listeners and myself. The Chinese communists, as you said, have a very different perception as to the value of human life. And they are willing to kill, you said, millions of people, and as we all know, it was actually tens of millions of people in yeah. the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution. Now, in one of the things that I read, I'm not sure that you wrote it, um, but you may have, you said that this particular moment in time is actually our Tiananmen Square moment. That um, yeah. we're in Tiananmen. Can you explain what happened at Tiananmen Square and why this might be a similar type of situation? Uh, yes, I can, Alan. But I think it's worth saying to your listeners that when we, you and I, last met in uh, in New York, you suggested to me that I should read Maoism: A Global History by Julia Lovell, and I I did. I read it as a consequence, and I think any of your listeners who want to know more about the nature of Maoism and what happened in those horrific events in the Cultural Revolution, uh, in the appalling famine that took place as a result of the seizure of private property and farms, they will then have a full understanding of the horrors that. Uh, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, have been responsible for. Uh, unlike the millions who died in the man-made famines engineered by Mao Zedong, the so-called great helmsman, uh, the bodies of those who died in all those horrors were not turned into waxen mummies and, uh, and, and preserved in a parody of the empty tomb in a, in a great mausoleum, as is uh, his, his corpse in Tiananmen Square in Beijing. And it's very interesting, isn't it, that Tiananmen Square is where, in 1989, this place where Mao is now preserved, in 1989, where thousands seeking democracy would themselves be mown down by the Chinese Red Army. Um, so we, all of us know the story. Looking over the bamboo curtain that separates Hong Kong from mainland China, people like Martin Lee were shaped and formed by those events. For many of us, though, who sort of thought that the 
ideological war was over in 1989, in that same year when we saw the collapse of the Berlin Wall, we forgot about the bamboo curtain. We forgot about the separation of Hong Kong from China and what would happen in due course. And in fairness, in the years immediately after Tiananmen Square, there did seem to be the beginnings of a reform program inside China. Deng Xiaoping, who met with Margaret Thatcher and discussed at the time what would happen in Hong Kong, he said to her famously, I could go into Hong Kong tomorrow and take it away. And Margaret Thatcher said, yes, but the eyes of the world would be on you. And it was enough for Deng Xiaoping to realize that what the rest of the world thought about how China behaved actually did matter. Now, under President Xi Jinping, unfortunately, the reforms of the Deng Xiaoping period have been uh, set to one side. We've now got a, a president for life. He's made himself into effectively a dictator and has made it clear that he wants to exercise total dictatorial powers. That there'll be no question of democracy in mainland China. And indeed, those who do have some limited democracy, as I saw when I was in Hong Kong in November last and witnessed as one of the international observers the elections that took place there, they would deny those rights to the people of Hong Kong tomorrow. And yet, the people in Hong Kong, in the privacy of a secret ballot, three million of them sent an unambiguous message to the Chinese Communist Party, overwhelmingly, in a landslide result, voted not for the pro-Beijing candidates, but for the pro-democracy candidates, saying they wanted more democracy, not less, including universal suffrage. The courage of these people always encourages me <laughs> to, I guess, do more, because they are, they are risking their lives even when they do a simple thing like vote. Um, and, uh, but they're willing to stand up and uh, fight against the all-powerful Chinese Communist Party. Why do you think that it is important for our listeners, who are American, um, to pay attention and to help. And one of the things that we do is get people to use social media to educate about what the Chinese Communist Party is up to. Why should Americans care about what goes on in Hong Kong? Americans should care because America has a passionate love of basic freedoms, not least freedom of religion and belief, but also our political liberties. And we in Europe should stand alongside our American allies in defending those values against those in the Chinese Communist Party who would usurp them. And it's why it's so important that you should go on telling the stories of what is not just happening now, but what has happened in the past too. When I first went to mainland China, it was when I was a young member of the House of Commons in the early 1980s. And I was secretly taken to a place where I met some of the underground Christians, but I also got to learn the story of Bishop Kung. Bishop Kung, Ignatius Kung, had been arrested by uh, the Chinese Communist Party and he spent 13, 33, zero years in prison. Um, he would come to a window at night after he'd been allowed into, under house arrest uh, just to show that he was still alive. Some of the underground Christians, they had suffered terribly. People like Bishop Julius Jiao Xiaogu languished in jail for 20 years. 
and there were other, many, many others as well. And as recently as Christmas last, Pastor Wang Yi, who is lead, one of the leading Protestant pastors, being incredibly brave in speaking out against the destruction of uh, religious sites, the incarceration of a million Uyghurs, Muslim people, uh, in Xinjiang in, in Western China, the destruction of, of, the, of Catholic shrines and churches, of Protestant churches being bulldozed, um, what has happened in Tibet as well, monstrous things have occurred there, claims of forced organ harvesting of Falun Gong practitioners, all these things matter because these things will come our way if we don't stand up to them now. And if we don't stand alongside the brave people of Hong Kong who have been demanding that the world should listen to them, if the if coronavirus has done nothing else, surely it's acted as a wake-up call. But we don't live in our own little boxes, immune from the rest of the world. And we always, in every generation, have to fight for our beliefs and stand up for the things that really matter. The United States is the leader of the free world. And if the United States doesn't care about that role any longer, then it will be a very bad day for the rest of the world. I agree. Uh, do you, uh, one of the, I'm, I'm going to change course here just a bit. One of the campaigns that we are conducting is the campaign to end America's total dependence on China to produce medication that Americans take. We have a situation which is kind of incredible where 90% of our generic drugs are actually made in China. And uh, the Trump administration, as well as we've done polling on this, Americans are left and right, both on the political spectrum, are extremely strong in their support to stop this monopoly that China has over our medication. I believe in the UK, there was a decision made not to go with the Chinese firm in terms of telecommunications, uh, which uh, the uh, Johnson administration was uh, concluding a deal with China, which I believe was uh, taken off the books because of uh, the way they have acted during this uh, coronavirus campaign. Uh, do you Are you encouraged by these types of actions against China? I think that, again, there has to always be a silver lining in, in every cloud. And however horrific and terrible COVID-19 has been, it has acted as a wake-up call. And it's made countries like yours and mine realise that if everything in our supply chains is reliant on China, then we will, of course, can very easily be held to ransom. So whether it's in the manufacture of pharmaceuticals or even ironically, uh, in ventilation equipment or face masks, which are now being sold to countries like the UK by China uh, without any hint of remorse for what, what began as a result of a failure to alert the world to what was actually happening in Wuhan, uh, which is costing billions of dollars and pounds around the world in the broken back state of our economy. It's a massive unemployment. But 
the resilience that should go with being a free and democratic society does mean you have to have manufacturing capacity and you have to have independence within your economy. And therefore, to make yourselves reliant on the Chinese Communist Party, can you imagine Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher making themselves reliant on the former Soviet Union? It beggars belief that we have put ourselves in this position. And, you know, I'm not trying to be wise after the event. I've been saying this for a very long time. I've also been saying to the Johnson administration in Britain that it is sheer craziness to hand over our telecommunications uh, to, to, the, to the Chinese. And that is still on the table. It's not something that's been abandoned, and nor have the attempts by the Chinese Communist Party to, uh, to purchase vast waves of our nuclear industry and also the purchase which they have already been able to procure of British steel. It's called British steel, it's now actually Chinese Communist Party steel. What nonsense is this? Countries have got to be able to be self-reliant, they have to have control over their supply chains, but they also have to have the ability to show social solidarity around the things that they stand for as a nation. Don't be under any doubt about this, make no mistake, the CCP's, the Chinese Communist Party's ideology, would think nothing of destroying vast swathes of people to achieve its objectives, and to think otherwise is to ignore the past. Very well said. Uh, along with, uh, quote, providing medical equipment around the world into countries that are fighting the Wuhan virus, there have been multiple reports, and some of them I'm fully aware of here in the United States, they were accurate reports, that a lot of the testing kits, the masks, have been defective. And the Chinese made a big propaganda splash about giving these materials, when in fact, the materials themselves uh, in many cases turned out to be something that couldn't be used because they were subpar and they were just bad products. Uh, I'll tell you a, a situation that occurred in New York, which was kind of interesting. New York uh, thought that it needed many more ventilators that thank God they ended up needing, but they were in the shopping market for ventilator and they bought a huge number of ventilators from China. And the ventilators were delivered in China, prepared to fly to the United States. Chinese military came and confiscated this paid-for batch of ventilators. Then two weeks later, a Chinese Communist Party front, a... Um, foundation came to New York and said, we are donating these ventilators. Well, in fact, New York paid for all the ventilators. And, um, and uh, this was, in the Chinese Communist Party's eyes, a tremendous propaganda victory. And I agree with you, it is amazing to me that we would turn over, whether it's medication, military, telecommunications, anything over to these barbarians. It really is. And Alan, it goes Amazing. further than that. If you think about the Huawei deal, our telecommunications industry, this is crucially important, not just to the way in 
we conduct our conversations with one another, conduct our businesses, it's important to intelligence as well. And when the major countries who are allies, Australia and Canada, the United States, Germany and Great Britain, when our other countries are saying we can't allow the Chinese Communist Party access for intelligence reasons into telecommunications, it again beggars belief that the United Kingdom should decide that for purely financial reasons, they, because they think there's a financial gain to be made here, that we would allow them uh, in, into telecommunications. Huawei uh, aren't just getting access to our economy, they'll be getting access to crucially important parts of our infrastructure as well. And so I I'm passionately believe that we've got to review this urgently. Um, and anything that is um, of strategic importance could not rely on Chinese supply chain. It's madness for countries to put themselves into this position. And there's one other aspect to this as well. There are you know, British companies that have been making equipment that is being used in the concentration camps, there's no other word for it, in, in, the, in, in, in Western China, in Xinjiang. These are the places where up to maybe more than a million Muslim Uyghur people are incarcerated, being re-educated, exactly the sort of things that Mao Zedong did during the Cultural Revolution, because they're people who have a religious belief that is not acceptable to an atheistic regime. One million people. The surveillance equipment that is being used in those camps, some of it has been developed in the United Kingdom and in the West. What are we doing in collaborating in this egregious, outrageous violation of human rights? And why isn't the Muslim world, the Islamic nations, why are they not speaking up about this? I'll give you one answer, which is called Belt and Road. This is the economic uh, linchpin of the Chinese Communist Party, which is indebting those countries, and many in Africa as well, indebting those countries to Beijing. So it cows them into silence. So why aren't people speaking out? It's because they have been pushed into a position where they're financially dependent on Beijing. And that is exactly what the Communist Party has been trying to do for a very long time. And we're, we are so naive at the very best, put the most charitable interpretation on it. We are naive to go along with this in the first place. Well, David, I agree with you completely. I thank you for coming and sharing your views. We will, of course, disseminate uh, this podcast and your most recent article uh, as we educate Americans on this subject. Is there any uh, final word that you'd like to say before we leave? Well, it's, I suppose, where we started. We talk, we're talking about the wonderful Martin Lee, who for me is a, a figure who stands out because of his his quietness in many ways. He, he's not some sort of firebrand or or someone who who is a, uh, a some demagogue or someone who spends his time sort of indulging in in empty rhetoric. This is a man who's dedicated the whole of his life to the promotion of democracy, freedom, and the rule of law. His great friend is Cardinal Joseph Sen, who was the Archbishop of Hong Kong. And he published a book recently, For Love of My People, I Will Not Remain Silent. I hope that we will not remain silent as brave men and women, uh, like Martin Lee and Mar Margaret Ng, are being arrested and are being arraigned before the courts in Hong Kong. 
and that the people of Hong Kong, that we will stand alongside them, even considering offering second citizenship and rights of abode in countries around the world as an insurance policy if these con continued attempts to undermine Hong Kong's freedoms persist. Well, David, thank you not only for appearing on this podcast, but also for all that you do. You're passionate about a very passionate uh, subject matter and very important. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing from you again. And I look forward to seeing you again as well. I'm very blessed. Keep safe. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Thank you.